<clears throat> so, we are in a, uh, uh, if you would like to follow along and maybe fill in the blanks, we're on the yellow page, and I've got the answers here, so I will tell you what they all are. Um, so we're in a conversation, we're actually continuing the second part of last week's conversation, but that in turn is part of a bigger conversation that I'm calling Signs of Life, and it's it's uh, based on a con- uh, 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 talk that, that our district superintendent, Carlos Rappanut, gave us at the um, uh, Alaska United Methodist Conference a year ago. And um, uh, could never get Carlo here, so um, I, I'm going to, to talk about it um, over the next couple of weeks, and that's what we've been doing. So we're in the fourth week, and we're looking at um, Disciple. The the identifiers that, that Carlo uh, came up with, uh, as he toured around the, the conference and looked at the different churches, Carlo came up with a list of six identifiers that he says are, are the marks of, of vital congregations. And so he encouraged churches to pay attention to these these factors. The same way if you go to the doctor's office and they check your blood pressure or whatever, they're going to tell you, you know, that's a good number or a bad number. Uh, Carlos said these are things you pay attention to to decide if your church is is a vital congregation. So he identified six of them, engage, welcome, disciple, risk, connect, and call. And we've looked at a couple of them. Uh, risk is such a great topic, and I think it's something that has so much personal application uh, that we can we can live lives that are not intimidated. Um, that that I'm going to take that out, and we're going to discuss that during the fall as a whole separate separate series of uh, conversations in the fall. So we're going to be talking about it both from a personal and a corporate standpoint as the church. So we're going to be talking about risk then. But in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at connect and call. But where we've kind of come from to get to today's message, where today we're going to talk about discipling. But where we've come from is the idea of engagement, where where God wants us uh, to go outside of the church into the mission field. That there are tyrants, people we talked about, uh, Vladimir Putin, who wants the church to be confined to the church building. Uh, but God wants us to actually be out in classrooms, in um, workplaces, actually to be demonstrating our faith in in the world outside the church walls. And uh, because because Jesus wants us to do that well, he gave us a process for doing that. And the way that Jesus encourages us to do that is by building relationships, to take time to get to know people. Don't just kind of show up in their face and tell them all about Jesus but instead to, to get to know them, to understand their story. And then after you've formed a relationship to to bring healing into it, to say, you know, I care about this person and here's what I can do to help them. And then finally, uh, because Jesus is very modest, he says, put me at the end of this process. When you get done with those first two things, then tell them about me. When they say, why are you doing this? You can say, well, I serve a God who loves you and I want to get to know the people that God loves. So that's engagement. Um, and the, the thing is, if we engage with people occasionally, they will say, they will say, well, that's interesting. You know, I want to know more. Uh, or they'll say, I like that, but what about this? And sometimes we will have the answers, but sometimes we won't. And what we can do is we can say, look, I don't have the answers. Just come and see. So, so when we do that, we want a church that welcomes people who are coming to see. And, uh, we talked about that too a couple of weeks ago. You can listen online. But the idea of coming and seeing is to, uh, welcome strangers. That, that they are off, you know, they're out of their comfort zone. And so we should really, um, extend a lavish, extravagant hospitality to them. Jesus said this is so important that he's going to be paying attention. 
And whenever we welcome a stranger, he's going to be treating it as if we were welcoming him. And because of that, the only safe way to do that is to assume this really is Jesus. How would I welcome Jesus? And to be equally lavish, equally extravagant for anybody who we don't recognize. The problem is sometimes what we think is perfectly good hospitality may not land on people that way because because it just is the way we do things. We don't think about it. So one of the things we can do is we can intentionally look at other churches. We can we can go be the visitor somewhere else and say, "Oh, okay, I see. I see now the way that they do their worship service or the way they do their music or whatever. We can learn from other churches and then bring that back and say, "Okay, now with fresh eyes, I can see the way we do things." So so being a stranger actually gives us the gift of fresh eyes. So we looked at uh, welcoming and how we can do that well. And then last week we began to discuss the idea of discipling. And and for Carlo, the point that Carlo was making is that churches are sometimes one-sided affairs. That uh, It's not that we're bad people, but when you join a church, it's very easy for me to think about how you can help me. And not not necessarily as a bad thing. You know, I could be thinking... We've got this committee and the work that this committee is doing, and so I will phone you and say, can you do this on the committee? And um, I don't stop and say, gee, I wonder if this would help that person in their spiritual walk. We just say, I need someone to help with the kids' ministry, or I need somebody to help with uh, uh, serving on council. And it's it's not that we're we're bad people. We're just kind of, we have a blind spot. We're thinking about our need more than your need. So Carlo is saying the churches need to move beyond membership. The idea, well, you are a member of the body of Christ, and so, you know, you're a muscle, or you're a spleen, or a, you know, a big toe, and how can you help us? Carlo says the church needs to be intentional about saying, how can we help you as a disciple become the person you want to be? That, that beyond that, actually, to become more than the person you want to be, to become the person Christ wants you to be, uh, because because Christ is not going to be satisfied with you kicking that addiction or uh, healing that broken relationship. Christ ultimately wants us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. So one of the things the church is to do is to encourage us and to help us do the hard work of becoming Christ-like. And, and the way we talked about that last week was the church... It has the role of moving people from coming and seeing all the way to coming and dying. So that's, that's where we landed things last week. And so we're gonna, we're gonna uh, look at how you actually do that. You know, there's a lot of reasons why it's a bad image of the church to think of it like a health club. It's easy enough to do, right? You, we have an offering and you say, well, that's kind of like my dues. And, uh, I come here and I kind of have a, have a list of things I can do. And, you know, there's a program that's going to help me learn more about this or help me do that. So in a way, we can think of the church as kind of like a health club, that I'm a member of a health club. And that's, that's not a good model. First of all, because you didn't pay the dues. Ultimately, everybody in here had their dues paid for them by Christ that it is a free gift that he offers to everybody who wants to join his club, to join his body. He's already paid the dues. So it's a free gift. Um, we're going to talk more about the other, some other time, about offerings and things like that. But, but um, So it's not a great model for that reason, but there's another reason it's not a great model. And that is that, that um, um, when I go to the health club, when I go to the health club, I know how it works. 
right? If I do this exercise, I will eventually have muscles in my core. Okay, I don't now. But if I do enough of this particular exercise or whatever, I will have a stronger core. Or I will have ripped abs, or I will have a you know heart that beats at 30 beats a second, or to 30 beats a minute, or whatever it is. Whatever it is I'm working on, I know how that works. I develop a part of me that's already there. And the model that the, the scriptures tell us is that is that's not how it works because we're not developing ourselves. What we're actually doing is revealing the life we have in Christ. So if, if you've got the scriptures, what I want to do is actually kind of go through and unpack what's going on in the letter to the Colossians. The, the writer has said in the previous chapter, in chapter 2, he said, what does it mean that, that we have died in Christ? And now he's saying, okay, what does it mean that we live in Christ? And so he begins this passage by saying, if you've been raised with Christ, and then immediately in verse 3 he says, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He says, this is not something you're going to develop the way you would at a health club. This is not something you're going to develop. It's something you're going to reveal that has been hidden. I was trying to think of how how we can communicate this. He uses some some different examples himself. But I was thinking, you know, it's the Olympics. And I was thinking, imagine somebody snuck you off in the night. They took you to a surgery center and they planted your brain in Michael Phelps's body. Okay? Right? Now you have the body. You have the physical conditioning of an Olympic world-class gold medal winning athlete. How would you know? Right? How would you know that you have that kind of life? Right? It's not the same thing as I'm going to start now at age 54 to become an Olympian. Right? That's going to be a hard process and I'm probably not going to succeed. But suppose instead I had this new life that I am now because of my relationship with Christ. I am a world class Olympian. But I just don't know it because I think of myself as me. And that's what the writer is saying. Your new life as a Christian is hidden with Christ in God. So he says, so take off the old self. Quit acting like the old self. Essentially, get in the water, do a few laps, surprise yourself, right? He says, the life of a Christian is not straining to do better, but discovering what you can do in Christ. So he says, our life is hidden with Christ, and when Christ is revealed, then you'll also be revealed with him in glory. So he's putting this in context. This is not try harder. This is discover what you already are. So that's what he says. Every believer's Christ-likeness is hidden. If you're filling in the blanks, every believer's Christ-likeness is hidden. You may not realize you are an Olympian. You are ready to go out and get a gold medal in the butterfly, okay? which is a type of swimming I have seen. Okay. <laughs> I have seen but cannot even imagine doing. All right. So, um, so how do we do that? Well, spiritual fitness, to become that kind of athlete, to perform at that level, spiritual fitness means replacing the old characteristics. You know, I used to get up and uh, check my email with hopping in the pool and swimming, right? Replacing the old characteristics with things that are above. So in verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly. In other words, quit acting like the old couch potato. right? Because you're not a couch potato. You don't have to become a great athlete. You already are. So quit acting like 
a couch potato. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. And then in verse 8 he says, now you must get rid of all such things. And he uses a couple of different metaphors, put to death, uh, take off the old. He's got a couple of different metaphors, but it's the same idea. If your life is hidden with Christ, how do you live into that? So he uses this clothing model he talks about putting to death and so forth, that, that you put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in verse 10. That the new self, as you're discovering what it is that this new Olympian body of yours can do, this spiritual uh, dynamo that you don't realize you have become, as you discover that, you're being renewed in knowledge. And he says, in that renewal there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. He's saying this is not for Mother Teresa and Billy Graham, right? That's something that Christians can do. We can say, well, yeah, there's the spiritual giants. There's the people who can do that stuff, but I'm not one of them. He's saying, no, this is for everybody. Everybody's life is hidden with Christ. This is something that's absolutely accessible to you. It's not just for those spiritual giants. And so... How do we do that? Well, he says, <laughs> you do it. He says, he says, take off the old, put on the new. So um, the next item is, how do we do this? We make a habit of these key disciplines. Uh, you know, we, we've heard stories, the guy who, uh, there's a crisis, his, he's in a car wreck and somebody's pinned under the car and he uses this superhuman strength he didn't know he had. He's like the Hulk for one minute. He lifts the car up, they rescue the person. We've heard stories like that. We don't know exactly where we heard them, but, you know, kind of a friend of a friend told me about a guy who, right? What he's saying is that don't save it for the emergency, right? Live into it. Make it a daily thing. Put on the new. Take off the old. Don't wait and see, maybe someday I'll need this, and then maybe it'll be there. He's saying, no, live into it every day. Make this a daily habit. So how do we do that? Well, um, there's actually... 2,000 years of practice and spiritual discipline. Um, um, we're going to do a class on this in um, the fall. And uh, we're going to kind of at least look at some of these. But this is kind of the gold standard, I think, of a discussion of spiritual disciplines. It's Richard Foster, um, the Spirit of the Disciplines. In it, he says that there are three groups of, of a total of 12 categories of spiritual disciplines. The groups are inward disciplines, outward disciplines, and corporate disciplines, if that helps. But he lists 12 different categories of spiritual disciplines. Um, this one right here is a book by Dallas Willard. It's called Renovation of the Heart, Putting on the Character of Christ. What does it mean to actually put on the character of Christ that we're talking about in this? And then his follow-on book, The Divine Conspiracy, Discovering Our Hidden Life in God. So those are that. And then um, John Ortberg is a friend of Dallas Willard's, and he said, I wanted a book that was a little more accessible, so I wrote what I call Dallas for Dummies. Dallas Willard's The Divine Conspiracy for Dummies, and it's um, it's John Hortberg, and he's saying, Dallas is just kind of too much, so this is the life you've always wanted. So um, you can read books. Uh, we're going to have a class in September where we're going to talk about it, but what I would um, encourage you to do is just kind of hang on and take notes for the rest of this, because I'm going to give you at least a, a, a hint about what are kind of the three uh, or four silver bullets that everybody, all those books, everybody always comes back to over and over again. Despite all the other ones they might add, there's always four that they always mention. So uh, we're going to go through those, and they are spending time daily with God in prayer and reading the Bible. Spending time daily with God in prayer and reading the Bible. And that's kind of a, 
what would you expect? Of course, of course you would do that. But maybe you don't think of that as kind of a, a spiritual discipline. Maybe it's just something, you know, you're supposed to do because you're a Christian and I, I don't know. But he says this is actually how you reveal your hidden character, the hidden, the hidden character of God that is in you. So what does that look like? He says, he says, um, in, uh, uh, first of all, daily again, this is something that should be a daily part of your, your routine. You should carve out time for this. This shouldn't just be waiting until the Hulk a scenario and you need to lift the car. He says, make this a daily habit. And how do you do that? He says, he says, seek the things that are above. Start with the assumption that if I seek, I can find. He says that there are things God wants to tell me. Um, and he says, um, set your minds on things that are above. So spend, intentionally spend your time uh, looking for the things that are above. In verse 15, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That, that, we approach the idea that this is something when I'm when I'm trying to pray. I'm, I have to begin by saying this is my weakest area. Okay, prayer, um, and maybe that makes me a bad pastor. I think it makes me a great pastor because I understand how much I need it. When I'm praying, I, I pray all through the day. I pray little tiny prayers. I pray for all of you every week. I pray for. I go through the list and I pray small prayers. Whatever I've known is going on in your life, I pray about that. But I'm not one of those people who can spend an hour in prayer. Not by myself. Because what happens is I start reaching for my phone and I'm thinking maybe I should check email. Maybe there's something I should pray about in my email. Maybe there's something I should pray about if I surf the web for a while. And I start getting distracted. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Kind of just, just, I know your hand is twitching because you want to pick up your phone. You want to go check the, the device. You want to see if you got any messages. Let the peace of Christ rule in you. And then he says, whatever you do in the word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, look, I don't have to approach God in my own strength. Remember, Jesus is giving me the ability to do this. So he says, do this, pray pray in the name of Jesus Christ. And suppose you still can't spend an hour in prayer. Like me, you still can't spend an hour in prayer. He gives us this great big hint. How can you spend time in prayer? We talked about this last summer. We had the whole series in the Psalms. He says, there is in the Bible a prayer book, 150 prayers that we can pray when we have nothing else to say. I've said everything that's come to my mind. Well, spend some time, he says, he says, singing heart, Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. So you can read through the book of Psalms. There's some great prayers in there. Read them. Say, God, I'm not even sure what I want to say, so I'm just going to pray Psalm 1. Let's see where this takes us. He says, he says, do that. But maybe you don't have a Bible handy, so what you can do, he says, you can sing, right? The beautiful thing about singing is you remember it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Yeah, we remember this, don't we, right? Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I sing. He says, sing psalms, spiritual songs, and hymns. Because we can, we can, we have ready-made prayers. And we can say, God, I don't have anything else to say. I am, I'm having trouble here. God says, that's okay. Let me help you. So use the Psalms. So he says, so he says, first of all, spend time in prayer. Secondly, reading the Bible. He says, let the word of Christ in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. So how can you do that if you don't spend time reading the Bible. So he says, spend some time intentionally reading the Bible. I will tell you, the technique that works for me here is to have a plan. 
I think everybody should have a plan. There, if you're capable of using your phone well, then there are some great Bible plans you can get in your phone. There's Uversion. Um, go to uversion.com or life.church, and you can get uh, Uversion from there, and there's a billion different reading plans. What I've found is because my phone is a dangerous thing to have with me when I'm with God, um, uh, that it is a little idle, um, I use this. It's a one-year Bible, and it's a plan. And I don't even have to remember what page I was on because I'm just on the next page. And the reason I do this, this is something I have to do as a Christian. You know, I read the Bible a lot during the week as part of my job. But I also read the Bible in the morning for myself. And I want to share with you, this is what God and I were reading together this morning. And I want to ensure you this is, this is why it's distinct from what I do as a pastor. So here's what I was reading this morning. It said, Ezra the priest brought the book of law and he faced the square from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. So this is not me planning worship services. This is me and God reading the Bible together. So I'm not planning any worship services that start at noon, start at nine and go to noon because that was just reading. It says in the afternoon, it says they read from the book of the law and clearly explained the meaning. The sermon was in the afternoon. So I am not planning worship services here. It's important that I, as a pastor, read the Bible for things other than just that. It says, then for three more hours they confessed their sins and worshiped the Lord their God. So I'm not planning a worship service like this, but I need, even as a pastor, to read the Bible in ways that are not just about planning worship services. And so do you. So spend some time reading the Bible. The next thing, number two, our third spiritual discipline, Look at verse 12. It says, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with this long list of virtues. Those virtues are all back and forth virtues. And he goes on and he says, If anyone has, it says, bear with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. This is the one anothering. There are, I am told, I have not found them all myself. I am told there are 57 things the New Testament tells us to do with one another. This is an example. You cannot be a Christian up on a mountain because you can't do those 57 things. You can't forgive one another. You can't bear with one another. So spend some time one anothering each other. It says spending time, um, sorry, one anothering, fellowshipping. Um, the, the, the biblical word for fellowship means to have a partnership, a sharing, a business relationship. We own this thing together. We're in this together. So one another each other. Spend some time in fellowship with other Christians in small group fellowship. Why small group? Let me tell you, this is the biggest danger a church this size has. If you go to Change Point, you go to any mega church, you're never going to have any fellowship with anybody if you don't seek it out, if you don't make it a part of your intentional plan when you go there. A church like this, you can kind of pass. You can kind of have fellowship light. They know your name. They say, hi, how's it going? Going fine. You can have that very superficial layer of fellowship, because people will know you. But it'll never go any deeper. Read what it says here. It says, it says, bear with one another. It says, forgive one another. If anyone has a complaint, it's saying, do life, go deep. And you can't do that with these everyday shallow relationships. You need to have a deeper relationship. So if you're in a big church, they put in small group programs. Because they know you've got to have that. In a small church, sometimes it's hard to get those things going. I'll tell you, I'm a pastor. That means I'm a member of two very small groups, the local pastors. 
Okay, I'm actually in a third. I forgot. I'm in a I'm in I'm in a group of pastors that meets on Jewel Lake uh, Road. I'm also in a group of Presbyterian pastors and a third group of Methodist pastors, and it's a vital part of my spiritual life. If I weren't in those groups, there'd be really nobody else who understood what I was going through, right? Because as a pastor, you know what other pastors are dealing with. So it's a place where I can say, here's the thing that's really just bringing me down right now. And somebody can say, here's, here's, here's what's been helpful to me in that area. So one another each other. Spend some time in small groups, one anothering each other. The bigger the group, the less intimacy you'll have. All right, let me wrap it up with this. So there's probably pushback. I know there's pushback. You don't have time. Who's got time to add a small group to your life, right? I, nobody's got time for that, right? And I just told you, you really should. Well, I'm going to tell you something even worse. You should practice generosity and self-denial by tithing. Now, remember, this is not a health club. Somebody already paid the price so you could get in the door, okay? This is not about making the bills get paid. This is about you and your spiritual discipline. If you tithe, if you live into that Olympian body you have, that spiritual capability you have, this is the way you do it. The same way you read the Bible according to a plan, so you don't just do it when you feel like it. You tithe, you make an intentional practice of giving a tenth of what you've got to God as a way of showing your gratitude. He says he says in here, in verse 15, he says, be thankful. In verse 16, he says, with gratitude in your hearts. In verse 17, he says, give thanks to God the Father through him. Well, Luke, how do you know he's talking about money? Well, I don't. But I do know, back in verse um, 5, it says, put to death um, passion, evil desire, and greed. Evil desire is wanting what's not yours. Greed is wanting to hold on to what is yours. So in context, I'm pretty sure that thankfulness includes saying, God, I am so grateful you've given me what I need, and I'm going to give back some because I know you'll make good. You will you will supply everything I need. I'm thankful that you're that kind of God. And if you've got any doubt that this is the practice of the other church, all you've got to do is go back and look at the, the Acts passage where it says the believers had everything in common. So the way we live into our life as Christians is by intentionally practicing self-denial. Jesus wants to take us to the cross. So we practice self-denial by saying, I would love a 4K TV, but instead I'm going to give some money to my church. I would love to have an extra Starbucks every week, but I'm going to give some money to the church instead. I'm going to practice self-denial. I'm going to practice generosity. I'm going to one another Christians instead of just saying hi. I'm going to make time every day to read the Bible and to pray. And we do this not because it gets us in the door. We're already in the door. We don't have to do this. This is not something, if you change in these ways, then God will love you. God already loves you. And he has made these things available to you so you can become, so you can realize the person you have become in Christ. So this is... This is the tip of the iceberg in disciplining. You see these guys write whole books about it. That's because we can go as deep as we want. But these are really the silver bullets. Everybody who talks about spiritual disciplines begins here. And I encourage you, if you if you push back, if you've got questions, we're going to have a class in September. We're going to go into some of these in a little more detail. We're going to have time to talk about them. But if you've got questions, put into practice the ones that you don't have questions about. 
and hold off on the others. But your life is hidden with God in Christ. Hidden with in Christ with God, excuse me. We already have that Olympian capability in us. The question is, are we going to take off the old and live into it? Let's pray. Loving God, these clothes are so comfy. I, I love this shirt. I, I, I love the way that it's starting to look a little old and it doesn't fit as well as it used to, but it's just so comfy. But you tell us, Lord, we have new clothes, better clothes, awesome clothes. And we just have to put them on. You tell us that we have a new life that can do things we cannot even imagine. And all we've got to do is try it out. So, Lord, help us with this. Help us, help us overcome the, the inertia and the, 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 the fear of the unfamiliar. Help us to overcome them and actually live into the life that you have promised is, is hidden already for us in Christ. Help us to take time every day to spend time in prayer and Bible reading. To seek out opportunities to go deeper, to spend life together with other Christians in small group fellowship. And Lord, help us to practice self-denial and discipline of generosity. We pray all these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.